It is Wednesday, my dudes, and that means it's time for another episode of Codex Radio. As always, I'm your host, Endless Odyssey. It is Wednesday, November 28th, 2018, and that means this is episode 47 and part 35 of our ongoing reading of Planescape Torment. Uh, Last week on Torment, we had a brief encounter with uh, what we will refer to henceforth as the Paranoid Incarnation, uh, which was another one of the Nameless One's past selves that apparently lived in Sigil for a time. Uh, He was not as equipped as, say, the Practical Incarnation to deal with the whole immortality thing and quickly became paranoid uh, that everybody already knew who he was and was insisting he had done things that he hadn't and all that kind of horrible stuff. Um, And apparently after having become aware of the idea of other incarnations living his life, uh, he created a trapped sensory stone designed to hide a memory uh, beneath another one that would only activate when another incarnation of the Nameless One attempted to use that sensory stone and would trap him inside that secondary layer of sensation for all time. Uh, The Nameless One had a brief chat with him, uh, but was quickly able to get him to reveal that he had built a failsafe into the trap uh, that would allow him, the Nameless One, to escape. Uh, And after making him realize that if he, the current Nameless One, had been successfully trapped he must also be the nameless one and therefore able to use that failsafe. So not the best trap in the world, but, uh, you know, we got a a little insight into the paranoid incarnation's state of mind. Uh, After that, we went and met up with an advocate named Giannis, uh, who runs a office where he stores legacies, which we had heard about from uh, Dianara's sensory stone. Uh, after speaking to Giannis for a short time, we quickly discovered that he is Dianara's father, and that is a little awkward. Uh, we attempted to, uh, recover Dianara's legacy, but Giannis immediately was like, hey, how do you know my dead daughter? Uh, and that made things a little strange, uh, because the Nameless One isn't exactly sure, but seems pretty convinced at this point that he was responsible for Dianara's death. Um, So we read the legacy, uh, which was basically just a love note from Dianara saying that uh, she was convinced that death would not keep them apart and they would be reunited again. Uh, We learned from Ianis that Dianara had some kind of future sight oracle powers, and well, it seemed her her prediction came true in as much as the Nameless One did reunite with Dianara uh, in the mortuary perhaps not in the way that she would have desired. After that, we went to another lecture at the Civic Fest Hall about the Blood War. Uh, We were instructed by Gisus the Crooked about the war between the Tanari and the Betezu, which uh, apparently has been going on for eons and will continue to go on uh, well after we're all in the Dead Book. Uh, We were treated to some war stories, from Gisus, who seemed to have at one point been a combatant in the Blood War, but escaped via unknown means. Uh, the main takeaway seemed to be that the Blood War is a horrible, no good, very bad thing, which should be avoided at all costs. Uh, and that's where we pick up today.
I now give you part 35 of Planescape Torment. Chapter 82 Rumor had it that this man was a linguist. He was a short, scholarly man with a tight, nervous frown on his face. He looked me up and down as he sifted through the sheaf of papers on the table. It was an attempt to appear busy on his part so that I might leave him alone. Greetings. I am Finham. I must beg your pardon, sir, but I care little for guests, invited or otherwise. So unless you've business with me, I would ask you to leave. I was hoping you could help me, actually. I would have you know that I am a scholar and a linguist, sir. He huffed. Well, I shall happily entertain any questions regarding my field of study, language and the like. I can be of no help to you in other matters. I unfolded the dodecahedron to a page with writing on it and presented it to him. Finham took the unfolded dodecahedron in his hands and examined it closely. This language is a long dead one, known virtually to no one. I believe my father, a linguist like myself, knew this language and may well have been the only man in sigil at the time that could understand it. I recognize it from his notes, but I cannot translate it. Do you have those notes still? Finham shook his head. They'll be of no use to you if you're looking to translate anything. And the few actual books he had pertaining to that language disappeared around the time of his murder, I believe. Your father was murdered? Finham nodded. Strangled, he was. He'd left to tutor someone, he'd taught various languages to supplement his research income, and was discovered dead in a side chamber of the Civic Fest Hall. The killer was never found. This was some, oh, perhaps fifty years ago now. I was but a child. He knew the language, though, and could teach it to others? Surely he did, and could were he alive today. My father was said to be a great teacher. Finham sighed sadly. I've his skill with language, but not his patience for others, sadly. Is he interred at the mortuary? Why, no, his ashes are kept here. He pointed to a bronze urn sitting atop a cabinet beside a bouquet of purple flowers. Why? A wry smile crossed Finham's lips. A necroscope, are you? Speak with the dead? Uh, no, just wanted to pay my respects, is all. I turned to Grace with a wink. With a light flap of her wings, Fall from Grace presented herself grandly, hands open and head slightly bowed. Finham, I, I have heard much of you. You lectured at the Civic Fest Hall, as I understand it, on the phonetic differences between the dialects of Bytopia. Finham snatched off his cap immediately, giving Fall from Grace a deep bow. Madam Grace, it is such an honor to have you in my home. Oh dear, please forgive the clutter. All business-like pretense had been abandoned. I'm afraid I've been busy, you see. I didn't realize you were interested in my work. I am interested in all matters of discourse. Grace smiled. Though I'm afraid I had been preoccupied with other things. Such a pity I missed your lecture. I must imagine it was fascinating. 
Well, I'm glad you think so, at least. Well, you and Vivian, of course. His mouth snapped shut. That, uh, is to say, I... Uh... Grace laughed, sitting down on a chair the moment Finn cleared it of a small pile of books. Master Finnum, I am as glad to have you as my guest in my establishment as you are to have me. I know that among all her patrons you are one of Vivian's favorites. Come. Grace smiled, gesturing for the linguist to sit down. Let us talk. A brilliant performance. The urn sat atop a small cabinet, no doubt full of ashes and charred bits of bone. Etched into the base of the urn were the words Finn Andli, beloved husband, father, and scholar of one hundred languages. I glanced over my shoulder and, reassured that Finnum was indeed preoccupied, I gently opened the lid. Probing the barrier between this world and the next, the ashes seemed to stir faintly, as if moved by my breath. A faraway voice whispered up from within the urn. Why, why have I been summoned to these ashes? Cold and gray as the heart of a hag? Now that contact had been made, I no longer needed to keep in such close proximity. Leaning against the wall and attempting to appear casual, I murmured in the breathless voice of the dead. To answer some questions, spirit. Ask then, so that I might return to my most quiet thoughts. Who were you? I was Finn, a linguist and scholar. I was murdered, murdered! by a student of mine, murdered so that I could not teach another the language that I taught him. The tongue of the Uyo, it was, one of the rarest in the multiverse. I knew of none who spoke it save myself and that one damnable, murderous student. With the dodecahedron still unfolded, I described to him the strange lettering. I could teach you this language, yes. It would please me to do so, in fact, if only to spite that bloody-handed student of long ago. First, tell me what languages you do speak. As the spirit spoke to me of the lost language of the Uyo, a throbbing sensation pulsed in my temples as a memory began to resurface. Memories of the language. It all came back to me. Letters, words, phrases. Until like a spire wind blowing away the blanket of poisonous smog over the great foundry, the language was once more revealed to me in its entirety. But even as that memory faded, I could sense another one, layered beneath, bubbling to the surface. A darker one. Its presence stirred my heart and filled it with unease and unexplained pangs of guilt. Very good. Finn and Lai smiles. I had repeated the poem. Near-perfect inflection, yes, yes. His voice is gentle, kind manner, soft gaze. The corners of his eyes crinkle the way they do when he is impressed. Skin peeled back into wrinkled folds. Amazing, is it not? To hear it on new lips brings such fresh life to the culture once again. His voice swells. He's proud. I have great faith that with your fluency you will be able to do many things. Perhaps one day the Uyo can live again in books and speeches. Perhaps you can pioneer the field. 
need to fake obsequious grin. Cast my eyes downward, act hiding embarrassment at high praise. Keep together, still need him just a little more. Just a little. Soon. Yes. Soon. Festhall, a mash of colors and textures. Place too crowded. Need to find secluded spot. Sights and scents and sounds. Too much. Taste the colors. Feel the scents. Rings red and green and music ever-present. Haunting the halls with ghostly echoes. Feast is on tonight. Halls abandoned, save for mindless sensations that fill it. Silence is best, but music helps. Soothes. Nails dig into my forearms. Carve small, half-mooned wounds into my flesh. Hands tremble in determination. Gnarled and scarred and wrapped around Finn's frail throat. Firm cartilage beneath supple flesh and muscle resist compression. Press him down against the floor and put weight into it. Throat crushes against my palms and pressure causes blood to well up in his eyes. Burst capillaries. Gagging sounds sicken me. Shut up, old man. Shut up, shut up, shut up! When he's cold and still, I crouch next to him, trembling at the physicality of it. Breathe. Safe. Finally safe. The journal hidden in a thrice-trapped dodecahedral puzzle box and penned in the obscure language of the Uyo. Forever safe from prying eyes. The music continues to play. The spirit seemed mildly confused at my apparent proficiency in the language of the Uyo. You seem to possess some grasp of the language already, student. Finn, I... I must tell you, it was I who murdered you. The spirit was silent for a time, the ashes rustling softly within their urn. When it spoke once more, its voice was full of sorrow. But... why? And why would you come to me once more? Did you forget what you had been taught? No. Well, yes. It's difficult to explain, but it must have been a former self of mine that murdered you. Each time I die, I reawaken, as if from a long sleep, but having forgotten everything. Who I was, or what I'd done. I think I understand. I sense your regret and would forgive you. May peace be with you, pupil of old, and may you prove kinder in this life than in the one which saw an end to mine. Thanks, Finn. Farewell. I returned to my room to read the journal. Written by a murderous and paranoid madman, I didn't expect much to be of real illumination. I wasn't really disappointed. The whispers are not the shadows moving. They are speaking, plotting, talking to each other. I can understand some of what they say. The book tells me things, whispers things. It tells me to avoid the ghost girl. Avoid her. 
I don't know her, and she torments me. And so I swallowed it, hoping it'd catch in my bowels. I can make someone remove it when I need to. I have learned that life is not my own. I will not allow you to have my life. You will have to pull my life from my broken body if you want it. It's you who will die. If I can't have it, neither will you. You are responsible for this treason of flesh. You will not live to live my life. The accursed tattoos will not leave my skin. I've tried to burn them off. Failed. Failed. I try and cloak myself, but I always feel that people are reading my flesh, reading me like a book. Whenever they look at me, I want to tear their eyes out, pluck them from their sockets, and crush them beneath my heel. Why can't I dream? I used the goblet of Samir to force a waking dream. I saw a hag. She tempted me, threatened me with shadows. I've never seen her, but she came when I dreamt. I must not dream again. I must always be aware. I destroyed the goblet. She says she is someone of power and that and that she will have me. Find me. Get away, hag. Stay far from me. Leave me in peace. I want nothing to do with you. Her voice reeked of evil talons. Talons like spiders. They burrowed into my gray matter and... I needed her out of my mind. Out! Out, hag! She was a myth. A fairy tale who alone challenged the Lady of Pain. How can one fight someone who's a myth? I I don't have the weapons. I need weapons that will kill her should she find me. I need a strategy so that she cannot defeat me when she comes for me. I must devise and think. I shall beat her. Fear names. Names have power and identity. Names can be used as a weapon by others. They're a hook that can be used to track you, find you, hunt you across the plains. Remain nameless, and you shall be safe. I went to the fest hall, looking for the path of my false self in its halls. So glaring was it that those I did not know, the false ones welcomed me into their confidence, treated me as a friend, showed me my room, attended to my needs. I had to restrain myself from lashing out against them. That would have been premature. First, I needed to protect my identity. I found one who knew the exclusive language of the Uyo, learned it as I could, then killed him. Then I went to the sensorium and prepared to end the matter. Soon. Soon. There's nothing he can do. Memories are gone, he says, never to return. He says lies and tells me that this is what he told me. Lies. He says my mind is weakening from every death. Lies. He sat there betraying my confidence with every turn. He says that only after three more deaths, three more lives, will I gain the benefit of keeping my memories, but that I, myself, I will die when I die. Die? How can one be immortal and still die? He could not answer, so he was of no use. But I took care of him, so that no other incarnation will ever benefit from his uselessness. 
The ghastly heads told me. You have been divided. You are one of many men. One in many men. You bear many names. Each has left their scars on your flesh. Lost one. Immortal one. Incarnation's end. Man of a thousand deaths. The one doomed to life. Restless one. One of many. The one whom life holds prisoner. The bringer of shadows. The wounded one. Misery bringer. Yemeth. You are the slivered glass that is cracked and the pieces scattered across history. <sighs> Only one piece is of import. Regain that and your life will be yours again. There will be a price. This price will buy you a chance. Without the chance, you are doomed. You have lost that which is never meant to be separated from man. Your mortality has been stripped from you. Lost. It exists but you must find it before your mind is lost to you as well. A legacy, the note read. Forget not to collect your legacy. And a small code scratched beside it. 5-1-A-A. A trap, no doubt. Set by yet another of my false selves. I'll see it destroyed. I will. Most of the journal's contents were meaningless. Some of it was disturbing, all of it barmy, but the legacy number was interesting. I plan to return to Ianis tomorrow after some window shopping. Attention, Mort, I have a question. Do you have a destiny, a purpose? Nordom chirped. Uh, is Anna still wearing clothes? Affirmatory. Then the answer is yes. I rolled my eyes and went back to examining the wares at the back of Rashika's curiosity shop. She was a damn skilled merchant. Knowing how much stuff I buy, she was always able to keep an eye on me and to note my interest and then swoop in to explain the item's history and its price when it came to a peak. I had been examining a tiny rag doll. The years had not been kind to it. It was coming apart at the seams and it looked like its threads were unraveling. It was obviously intended to be a replica of the Lady of Pain, but the button eyes and its plush softness didn't strike much fear into my heart. Frashika smiled, noting the interest in my eyes, and unlocked the case, pulling it out and holding it up for me. This was found in a well-trapped strongbox sunk deep beneath the surface of Sigil. It was part of a small hoard of treasure and forbidden magical texts, though I don't know what it's for. If you like it, it's only 99 copper coins. The once colorful cloth had been grayed with age and dust, and as I reached out and touched it, the barest hint of familiarity tingled through me. I'll take it. As always, Anna kept her distance. That's your luck it is, she muttered. Rar, I dare you to pray to me, I teased, wiggling the rag doll at Mort. The lady doesn't talk, chief, and I don't think she'd sound like a giant toad gargling a cauldron full of old broth, even if she did. Why the hells did you buy that thing, anyway? Mort muttered, floating beside me. I shrugged. I don't know. It just seemed kind of familiar. I focused, trying to snag the ragged hem of my memory. For once, though, it seemed elusive, so unlike that eager upwelling of nostalgia. It evaded my curious probings, but once I managed to snag its edge, I 
knew immediately that something was wrong. By the hunger of change in emotion, by the thirst of unbearable things, by despair, twin-born of devotion, by the pleasure that winces and stings, the delight that consumes the desire, the desire that outruns the delight, by the cruelty deaf as a fire, and as blind as the night. The profane litany came in brief flickers, vulgar poetry trickling from scarred lips and brewed with a half-crazed and desperate mind. I could feel the rough stone against my bended knees, the fresh cloth of the ragdoll in my hand, as the incarnation in my memory whispered in a voice, mocking, pleading, and insane. By the ravenous teeth that have smitten, through the kisses that blossom and bud, by the lips intertwisted and bitten, till the foam has a savor of blood, by the pulse as it rises and falters, by the hand as they slacken and strain, I adjure thee, respond from thine altars, our lady of pain. Run. My throat was dry. Chief, run. I took off at a dash, fleeing down the streets as my companions called out to me from behind. With my limbs light with panic, even Anna couldn't match my speed. I darted down one alley, then another, knowing full well that the lady was as familiar with each path as one is with the veins of their own hand. My boots pounded on pavement worn away by acid rains, throwing up dust blown in from desert worlds. Air bittersweet with the nectars of Celestia and the effluvium of the abyss gnawed at my lungs, and they burned as I continued my mad dash through the ward. Of course it was futile, but what could anyone do but run? The normal cacophony of the Sigillian crowds died with horrified gasps and muted whispers. Many froze in place, too shocked to flee, but aware enough to draw semicircles over their hearts. They were quick to part, as the cold, razor-edged shadow behind me stretched out with merciless purpose. And then the paths began to change. The buildings I passed were empty, and with each step they became more warped. The streets became jagged and bent, as if space had begun to curl in on itself like a dried-up leaf. The world was painted with strange colors and silent hums, and once the path before me began to evaporate like sublimating ice, I stopped. There was nothing to be done now. I turned around. She floated, robes flapping in an unfelt wind. Her eyes were half-lidded and pale. Her face was smooth and expressionless, as if it were nothing more than a mask framed with a halo of blades. This was the one that could slay gods with a glance, whose displeasure drove mortal and immortal alike mad. She was the one that caused love to sour into despair, and whose blades carved away possibilities and left regrets. It... It wasn't me. 
She floated toward me, ever enigmatic, ever serene. The half-world I was caught in rippled away, and with something akin to a snap of pinched flesh, everything solidified around me. Interlude Your gaze darts across the tavern, catching the squirms and uncomfortable shifts of limbs and bodies. Few things are taboo in Sigil, much less the hive, but speaking any tale of the lady, if such must be spoken, was only ever acceptable in alley-side whispers or murmured conversations in the corner of dank taverns. Now that Jeanette Dovell Fourwinds had proclaimed it proudly from the stage, a number of hivers draw semicircles over their hearts. You do so yourself. It has been a habit for far too long to change now. My con chooses a lip. For once, the callow young harmonium guard is silent, and it is left to Gamir to vent his horror. Are you mad, girl? He snarls. Are you trying to call our serenity's gaze on us? Well, if in you prefer to shout her name from the heights of the heavens to the depths of the sea, I'd wager you've just taken the heat off me, lad. Jeanette laughs. The sullen dwarf immediately turns green. She is right, gentlemen. Apetrius proclaims. A predictable orderliness underlies the lady's behavior, though to a novice it may seem erratic. He begins ticking off the facts on one slim-fingered hand. 1. She seeks to preserve the lawful state of affairs within Sigil by deterrence via punishment. 2. She slays those that would treat her as a goddess through prayer, hypothesized as a natural logical extension of her prohibition of deities, she must ensure that she herself does not become a deity for the sake of consistency. 3. Those that violate either rule listed previously are slain by her shadow. Given that she possesses the apparent knowledge, motivation, and power to condemn those that violate her wishes, the fact that her presence is not seen here is sound evidence that Jeanette's telling is not in violation of said wishes. Aye, well let's see you get up on that stage and repeat that part of the telling. The color drains from the tip of Apetrius's nose, but he hides his queasiness with a thinning of his lips. I have no need to do such, and I certainly wouldn't waste the audience's time even if they wished. The night's grown long already. I have a meeting with the third instructor of the Tikilikian Academy in the morn. We should continue. Imagine the focus she must have, the sensei cries out in jubilation. To have access to all of the multiverse and the ability to taste all the colors of the plains. To feel the aromas of infinite realities. To gaze upon the flavors of all the wines of existence. No wonder she is so calm, so serene. She basks in countless wonders and is in touch with truths beyond comprehension. Oh no, not this again. Once any idiot approaches the topic, a hundred tongues will wag, all to no avail or progress. Please, her enemies are the powers themselves. Can't you see that her power was found by casting off the false shackles of religion and embracing the true dark behind it all? No, the lady is the ultimate force of law. She slays the unrighteous, cuts away those who would offer false prayers to justice, for justice cannot be prayed to. Justice must be executed. And she knows that mercy isn't even for the weak. It is for no one at all. You calmly dab a crust of bread on your plate, stirring it around to sop up the congealing sauce left over. Every time a serving woman offers to take it, you wave her off to fetch more bread. 
You'll be nibbling for another few hours, at least. Leave the fools to their useless pontification. You've got a plate of red wine sauce in front of you to battle. She is the ultimate test, the final conquest that must be taken before a god can transcend this existence. She's composed of six giant squirrels in a robe and headdress using a ring of levitation and illusions. She is that which is! As fun as this is, lads, Jeanette shouts above the din, let us focus on the tale at hand, or do y'all not want to know about how the Nameless One escapes? He escapes? The mercy killer that had spoken earlier murmurs in shock. She reddens and scowls in anger. No one can escape the clutch of justice. Aye, else would be a dull tale if he didn't, wouldn't it? Chapter 83 Maze Entry 1 Trying to keep myself sane by writing down my thoughts. I have no idea how to count the time while I'm here, but I've been blocked from the world outside. The isolation and silence incubate my thoughts, and as the seconds scrape away, it's become far too easy to turn within. The memories of the past are welling up and blending with my own, and the two streams of thought bloat the minutes into aeons. Maze Entry 2 The maze has no barriers only winding paths separated from one another by chasms of lightless depth. Narrow ways limit my movement, while the exposure of having no walls to protect me leaves me feeling vulnerable to whatever whites might attack. Though I know there's nothing else here, now and again I look over my shoulder. I don't know why. Don't know how deep they are. Maybe infinite void... Can't fall, can't fall. Maze Entry 3 Damn, I'm hungry. Must be weeks down here. Stomach is bloated and withered and bloated again. Regenerating body keeps death at bay. Maze Entry 4 Ten sleepless nights ebb and flow. Insomniac's sharp, clear glass gaze fogs over. Can't sleep. The ground is hard to sleep on, but lying down and resting is little comfort. The feeling of being out in the open makes it hard to rest, and even if I do manage to nod off, vestigial dreams clod my mind and leave me in a fitful half-sleep. I regret having my dreams restored, sometimes. I know I'm alone, but I can't help but feel like eyes are on me. A lips full of lust and laughter. Curled snakes that are fed from my breast. Bite hard, lest remembrance come after. And press with new lips where you've pressed. For my heart too springs up at the pressure, Mine eyelids too moisten and burn. Ah, feed me and fill me with pleasure, Ere pain comes in turn. O garment not golden, but gilded, O garden where all men may dwell, O tower not of ivory, but builded, By hands that reach heaven from hell. O mystic rose of the mire, 
O house not of gold but of gain, O house of unquenchable fire, Our Lady of Pain. Maze Entry 5 They say that when the Lady mazes people, she leaves an exit in here somewhere, but it's so well hidden that people go mad with desperation searching for it. I'm keeping it together pretty well, though. I'm sure I can find it. I just wish the voice in my head would shut up. Maze Entry 6 I'm still hungry. Hunger pains, distracting. Must eat and clear mind if I'm to escape. Conjured a little water and a touch of fire. The process is painful, but access is easy with a little bending and a polished blade. Sliced, harvested kidney into thin pieces and boiled for soup. Meaty. Tastes faintly of urine. Maze Entry 7 Found some claw marks along the path and a little dried blood. Looks like someone went into a bit of a frenzy here. Seems like a good sign, though. I'm beginning to trace the path my previous incarnation took. He must have found a way to escape in the past. The memories haven't pointed the way yet, though. Most of it's just crazy gibberish. For the crown of our life as it closes is darkness, the fruit thereof dust. No thorns go as deep as a rose's. And love is more cruel than lust. Time turns the old days to derision. Our loves into corpses or wives. And marriage and death and division make barren our lives. And pale from the past we draw nigh thee and satiate with comfortless hours. We know thee how all men belie thee and we gather the fruit of thy flowers, the passion that slays and recovers, the pangs and the kisses that rain, on the lips and the limbs of thy lovers, our lady of pain. Maze Entry 8 I found a piece of garbar root stuck in the bottom of my pack, picked off the lint, it was the most delicious thing I've ever eaten. Regeneration too slow. I'm running out of kidneys. Maze Entry 9 Found a portal framed by an arch. I walked through it, but all it did was transport me to another part of the maze. Dost thou dream in a respite of slumber? In a lull of the fires of thy life, Of all the days without name, without number, When thy will stung the world into strife, When a goddess, the pulse of thy passion, Smote kings as they reveled in Rome, And they hailed thee re-risen, O Thalassian, Foam white, from the foam. When thy lips had such lovers to flatter, when the city lay red from thy rods, 
and thine hands were as arrows to scatter the children of change and their gods, when the blood of thy foemen made fervent, a sand never moist from the main, as one smote them their lord and thy servant, our lady of pain. Maze Entry 10 Jackpot Found a crude encampment. A fire pit had been burned into the stone floor, and two old ratty blankets served as a pallet. An assortment of charred human bones had been piled up on the side. Disturbing and overly familiar. I don't approach them. Digging around, however, I uncovered a heavy warhammer and a journal. Cleverly constructed, the frame of the journal was made from human bones spliced together, with sheets of dried human skin stretched across them. The skins had healed together, forming the spine of the journal, and locked together other pages of skin in between. The cover was of the same power as my flesh, and its scarred gray surface was reminiscent of a zombie's hide. It was pretty obvious what this had been made from. A series of incomprehensible symbols had been written in blood across the cover. They'd been scrawled with a crazed hand and were written upside down, right to left, and at odd angles that made my eyes hurt. I really wish I had that linguist still on hand. They say ladies love a linguist. Who can turn down a master of many tongues? Fantastic. Now I have Mort in my head, too. Despite the crudity of the writing, I have to admit that the design of the frame was actually quite intricate. The bones had been carved so that they snapped neatly together. It looked like they could be unhooked from each other, allowing it to be opened and read as a book. I unlocked the bone frame, which unfolded with a neat snap. Opening the book and studying the pages yielded nothing. They were filled with the same strange series of symbols as on the exterior, and they didn't seem to make any sense. I tried again and again to puzzle out the symbols. They didn't seem to follow any pattern, at least any pattern that I could see. The angles and pictures displayed seemed to be completely arbitrary, but I wasn't absolutely sure. At the very least, it was nice to have some blankets again. On sands by the storm never shaken, nor wet from the washing of tides, nor by foam of the waves overtaken, nor winds that the thunder bestrides, but red from the print of thy paces, made smooth for the world and its lords, ringed round with a flame of fair faces, and splendid with swords. There the gladiator, pale for thy pleasure, drew bitter and perilous breath. Their torments laid hold on the treasure of limbs too delicious for death. When the gardens were lit with live torches, when the world was a steed for thy reign, when the nations lay prone in thy porches, Our Lady of Pain. Maze Entry 12 it hit me like a flash of lightning piercing the sky. Just as I had rehooked the bone frame after another period of studying it, I was struck with a strange thought. What if the interior pages aren't supposed to make any sense? I, or whoever I was at the time, put the symbols there to deceive anyone looking to read the real contents, which were hidden somewhere else on the journal frame. 
powers above this one was paranoid. With some fiddling, I found one of the bones had a long hairline fracture around one of its ends. I put my hand over the edge and twisted off the top of the bone, revealing a hollow space. Inside was a small, rolled-up scrap of skin. It was covered in writing, with words scrawled over and over it again until it was almost illegible. Nonetheless, I was able to make out some of the words and symbols. Trapped. Trapped. Ladies will be done. Dot your gaze. Too many strangle and stop the breath in their throats. There's a way out. I know it. Then I'll give the bladed one the laugh. One of the arches holds the way out. One of them does. One has the way out. Just can't keep going through them one at a time. Maybe... Maybe I should go through one, then walk back to the same portal without... The entry trailed off into indecipherable scrawls. If this one had been mazed for killing too many, I wondered who it was that was mazed for praying to the lady. How many incarnations had been trapped here? And how many had died and reawakened in this pit of madness? Actually, I didn't want to know. Maze Entry 13 Mapped out all the arches. As suggested by the journal entry, I took one, then returned to it again after I was teleported. I think I found the right portal, and when I returned, the destination it led to had changed. I was looking through one arch and saw another. Yes, now this arch. The portal's edges glittered with the trail of silver dust, and through it I could see an unfamiliar gray-bricked street. The music of a performing group sounded through, shattering the silence that I'd been trapped in for so long. What ails thee to fear over measure, to praise thee with timorous breath? O mistress and mother of pleasure, the one thing as certain as death. We shall change as the things that we cherish, shall fade as they faded before as foam upon water shall perish, as sand upon shore. We shall know what the darkness discovers, if the grave pit be shallow or deep, and our fathers of old and our lovers, we shall know if they sleep not or sleep. We shall see whether hell be not heaven, find out whether tares be not grain, and the joys of the seventy times seven. Our Lady of Pain. And that's going to do it for this week's episode of Codex Radio. Uh, Before I let you go, I just wanted to remind you to send us your feedback about the show. Uh, You can tweet at me, I'm at Endless underscore Odyssey on Twitter, or you can tweet at the show's account, which is at Codex underscore Radio. Uh, And you can send us your emails to CodexPodcast at MyriadTrues.com. Uh, If you're enjoying the show, consider us leaving a rating wherever you get your podcasts from. That'll help new listeners find the show. That's all I've got for you this week, folks. I'll see you next Wednesday.